Hello, and welcome to Market Matters, Thompson Hines' podcast series that explores critical legal and regulatory issues affecting the investment management industry. I'm Mike Weibel, a partner in the Investment Management Group. I'm welcoming Nathan Holmes back to the podcast. Nathan was my guest back in November of 2019 when we discussed the SEC's proposed amendments to the proxy rules. Well, the SEC adopted those rules in July 22nd, 2020, and we're here to talk about those amendments. The amendments codified the SEC's interpretation that proxy voting advice generally constitutes a solicitation subject to the proxy rules under the Securities Exchange Act. This was expected and is consistent with the proposal. Despite the SEC's broad view of what constitutes a solicitation, the proxy rules exempt certain solicitations and and entities from the proxy rules information and filing requirements. Proxy voting advisors, that is firms that provide advice to their clients on how to vote proxies, currently rely on these exemptions. The advisors and many in the, in the mutual fund industry strongly oppose some of the proposed changes to the conditions that the proxy voting advisors would need to satisfy to rely on the exemptions. Nathan will talk about some of those concerns later in the podcast. But first, let's take a high-level look at the amendments. When the SEC originally proposed the amendments in November of 2019, they said the purpose of the amendments was to allow investors who use proxy voting advice to receive more transparent, accurate, and complete information on which to make their voting decisions. All right, so let's look at some of the changes. First, under the amendments, proxy voting advisors must disclose any material conflicts of interest either in their proxy voting advice or in an electronic medium used to deliver the proxy voting advice. This amendment was adopted substantially as, a, as proposed, but it's a little bit more streamlined. Also, unlike the proposal, the final amendments don't specify where the disclosure has to be made or how the disclosure has to be presented. Second, the amendments include examples of one failure to disclose conflicts of interest or other information in proxy voting advice would be considered misleading. So those are the those are the first two items, and they're relatively uncontroversial, and they were they were adopted as proposed substantially. The big issue was the next one, and that is that proxy voting advisors must adopt and publicly disclose written policies policies and procedures reasonably designed to ensure that proxy voting advice about an issuer is made available to that issuer at or prior to the time the advice is given to the proxy advisory firm's customers and the proxy advisory firm's customers have a way by which they can reasonably be expected to become aware of any written statement from an issuer regarding the proxy advisory firm's proxy voting advice in a timely manner before the shareholder meeting. So the second amendment is significantly different from the proposal, which would have given issuers the right to review and comment on the proxy voting advisor's draft advice before the proxy voting advisor's clients received it. So Nathan, why is this, why was this change made and what is the significance? Sure. Thanks, Mike. You know, I, I think that in the final version of the rules that the, uh, that the SEC has adopted, uh, they've taken a more principles-based approach here um, in recognition of, of a couple of things. One, you know, understanding how compressed the schedule is for 
traditional proxy season. Uh, you know, uh, many, many public companies are going to have their proxy statements issued uh, calendar year companies in a pretty short window of time in, in the spring uh, and proxy voting advisory firms need to review those proxy statements, develop recommendations uh, for, for their clients and, and get those out to their to their clients and adding in um, the sort of pre distribution. Uh, ability for the issuer companies to review and comment on drafts of the uh, uh, proxy voting firms advice. Uh, I, I think the SEC recognized that that might uh, uh, really make um, the, the timeline a little too short and, and compressed in, in some situations. Um, the, the other thing is, I think they were reacting uh, to some of the comments that were received from uh, proxy advisory firms and others. Um, Institutional Shareholder Services, or ISS, in particular, pushed back really hard on this concept of uh, being required that, that was in the proposed rules where they would have been required to give uh, issuer companies and uh, the ability to weigh in on a draft of their proposal and uh, include Include the uh, issuer company's response in their in their proxy voting advice when it's first delivered to their clients. Uh, they made a number of, of arguments there, uh, including arguments uh, under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, which I have to say, you know, it was a pretty interesting reading. As uh, speaking as an executive compensation lawyer, uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about free speech issues. <laughs> and and and, and uh, constitutional law considerations, but you know, ISS was making the point that well, hey, this is the SEC; uh, it's the government telling us that before we can deliver written advice to our clients, we have to go to someone who may disagree with us, uh, give them the ability to review our comments, and then uh, even be required to include uh, issuers' comments in the in the original version of our uh, advice that we provide to our to our customers. Um, so, so I think the SEC, you know, heard that uh, and sort of took a step back here and uh, they, they still want to make sure that uh, issuers have a, a better chance to uh, sort of weigh in on a timely fashion and get their views out there. But they, they have taken a more, as I say, principles based approach in terms of allowing uh, the proxy advisory firms to come up with a policy that might work for how they would implement this. Uh, and they've also, you know, uh, relaxed the requirements in that there's no longer under the, under the final version of the rules, there will not be any requirement um, that uh, proxy advisory firms allow issuers to review a draft before it's submitted. Uh, they just have to be made aware of the, of their advice no later than the time that, the proxy advisory firms issue their reports to their clients. So, uh, Nathan, the, the the final rule also requires that the proxy advisory firm notify their customers that um, there might be additional uh, proxy solicitation materials that were filed by the issuer in response to the advice being given by the proxy advisory firm. Does that seem to satisfy I, uh, ISS and the other proxy voting uh, advisory firms, or it is? Um, or not? Well, uh, you know, this is very interesting. This is this is far from over, uh, I, I would say. And uh, there's really not a, a uniform approach here. One of the very interesting things to watch is going to be how these rules 
uh, as they go into effect, and we can come back to what the effective dates are on these various provisions in a bit, how they sort of affect the competitive landscape, for example, in, in the proxy advisory firm business. There aren't that many companies in that business. By far the most influential in the space that I work in, in executive compensation, is ISS. And ISS, as you may recall, uh, had sued the SEC um, uh, before the proposed rules came out based on some, some uh, guidance that the SEC had, uh, had published uh, late last summer. Uh, the ISS's lawsuit was uh, stayed, put on hold while these proposed rules were pending. Uh, and now that the rules have been finalized, ISS has signaled that they're still intending to keep up the fight. They uh, uh, are going to be making a filing here, uh, an amended complaint in their lawsuit against the SEC. I think it's due by mid-September or so, so in just a, a couple of weeks here. On the other hand, sort of the uh, uh, the next most prominent player in the proxy advisory firm space, Glass-Lewis, uh, has taken a very different approach with respect to um, uh, the kind of notice and comment provision that was in the in the uh, the rules that were uh, originally proposed, and voluntarily in the 2020 proxy season, Glass Lewis actually moved towards an approach of uh, allowing issuers and any other uh, 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 proponent uh, in a contested transaction or. Uh, in an M&A transaction, I, sh I should say the IS or the SEC's final rules do not apply the these provisions requiring um, uh, disclosure about statements that the issuer may make. They don't apply in the context uh, of uh, contested elections or M&A transactions. But ISS, has, or I'm sorry, not ISS, Glass-Lewis has voluntarily adopted uh, a process which they call their uh, report feedback statement. Hmm. So uh, under their report feedback statement approach, if you're an issuer or if you have an interest in these, uh, 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 a, a contested issue on the proxy statement, you can request a copy of the report and, and uh, make your comments and have Glass-Lewis distribute those comments to their, to their clients. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's, there's some differentiation here in terms of how the, how the players in the proxy advisory firm market are, are reacting to this, but um, at least one of them, and the, really the uh, uh, the most influential of the proxy advisory firms, has signaled that they intend to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And and just to sort of clarify something that that Nathan um, mentioned, the original rule as proposed did uh, would have required. Uh, proxy advisory firms to also deliver statements from other stakeholders um, uh, in the proxy solicitation, solicitation process, not not just the issuer. That that uh, proposal was not adopted, and uh, it's it's just the issuer now, um, not any other person, you know, involved in the solicitation. Um, Nathan, so Nathan, do you think there's any significance in that change? Uh, not a, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting, actually the, the proposed rules, you know, could have allowed other, um, uh, parties to weigh in, uh, it wouldn't have applied to, um, shareholder proponents. I, I think the rule said like any, any, uh, uh, party 
other than it, who's involved in a proxy solicitation other than certain exempt solicitations. So solicitations on behalf of a shareholder, the shareholders wouldn't have had an ability to weigh in, but in a contested election, you, you might've had uh, a shareholder opponent be able to weigh in. Um, certainly that uh, it, it's an interesting uh, approach to it. And frankly, that was one of the things that um, I think ISS is it's one is one of the things they're likely to complain about. They're saying, "Look, you're only allowing the issuer to weigh in, and the issuer is probably unlikely to weigh in unless they disagree with our our uh, voting advice." So, we'll see how yeah, it plays out. You know, and getting to that that piece, um, you know, I can perfectly understand the um, logistical um, considerations and and the time and the delay and the and and um, you know what that does to the proxy process both at the for the issuer as well as the the client who needs to make a decision and, and cast their ballot within a specified period of time um, but what what is glass i'm sorry because glass lewis doesn't have this issue but what's iss's main beef about um uh, allowing the, the issuer to um, express their view of the advice their main beef is really the way in which the sec might have required them to be involved in that process in, in any way um, of course, issuers could always um, uh, submit additional proxy materials, file them with the SEC, challenging, you know, the comments that a proxy advisory firm uh, makes. Um, and in fact, I think, you know, uh, earlier in the in the days of, say, on pay, again, as an executive compensation lawyer, that's one of the places where I see uh, proxy advisory firms uh, influence uh, being very important in the early days of stay on pay. If you were to get a company were to get a you know negative recommendation from from ISS, often the instinct was to file additional proxy materials with the SEC and really come out swinging against you know any perceived um, inaccuracies, methodological weaknesses, um, uh, incorrect points of view <laughs> that, that the proxy advisory firm. Uh, stated um, subsequent to that I think more recently in situations where you might have a challenge from a proxy advisory firm um, companies have really tended to move more in their disclosure towards one being proactive and reaching out to their largest institutional investors you know uh, really uh, taking a shareholder engagement approach to understand what their investors are are interested in uh, on a variety of topics that could include executive compensation. And even when uh, additional proxy materials might be filed in response to um, uh, or in connection with an election where ISS or, or Glass-Lewis has made a negative vote recommendation, I think more recently the tendency has been, you know, not to not to mount an attack on ISS or Glass Lewis, right? But really to focus on just continuing to tell the the company's story about uh, why the compensation program they've adopted is the right one for them, and why shareholders should vote for the proposal that's on the ballot, whether that's the annual or uh, uh, other advisory vote for say on pay, or whether that's a a stock plan proposal. So. Um, Companies could always do that, and I think ISS just doesn't want to be uh, roped into that process and uh, promote and end up, you know, allowing issuers to ride along on their uh, uh, advice to their clients. They also had concerns, and some of the the changes, 
the changes that you mentioned with respect in, in the final rules with respect to uh, conflict of interest disclosures deals largely with the fact that ISS really has a conflict of interest type situation built into their business model uh, on executive compensation issues in particular uh, because they you know have their clients are companies that that uh, um, uh, money managers institutional uh, investors who need to vote proxies right and ISS gives those people advice uh, but ISS has a subsidiary or division and a related party that provides consulting services to issuer companies to help them uh, navigate the process of trying to get a positive uh, recommendation on a shareholder proposal from ISS, the, the, the proxy advisory firm. Mm -hmm. uh, and so ISS says, well, look, you know, if we're going to be involved in this at all, we have to be careful about um, how and where disclosure is made because our proxy, you know, ISS would say, our proxy voting advice comes from ISS, the proxy advisory firm, and our consulting advice comes from ISS corporate solutions. I think it's called the, the consulting firm. And we don't really want people at the proxy advisory firm part of our business to know exactly which companies have received consulting services <laughs> from us. <laughs> right. So, uh, the, that initial proposal that would have said, okay, you've got to include the disclosure in your voting report to your to your clients, ISS pushed back on that and said, well, we can't really, we shouldn't be made to do that because then we are um, kind of tipping our hand to the people who evaluate the proposals that somebody over at our consulting division has um, uh, has given advice to the company on how to, how to get a, a positive recommendation. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you would, you would think that, um, <laughs> tell you the truth, if, um, yeah, uh, you know there there is that built-in conflict. Um, carrying a uh, statement from an issuer saying you disagree with the uh, advice uh, for voting the proxy by the proxy voted advisor would actually cure that conflict. Uh, <laughs> but you know, right. uh, everybody has their business decisions to make. But it sounds Sorry. like the SEC actually um, sort of um, split the baby, right? And and uh, mm -hmm. um, while they uh, don't have to deliver the, the opposing view or the issuer statement, um, there is still a requirement that the proxy advisory service uh, notify the client, their client, on how to get, ac how to have access to that mm -hmm. uh, additional information that's been filed by the, by the issuer, by either um, um, sending an email saying, with a link saying, go to the Edgar, Edgar website and, and look at that material or by um, putting it on their website or other platform they use to deliver the advice. That, that, that's right. And the, the SEC put in some safe harbors on how uh, uh, proxy advisory firms might uh, be deemed to comply with these rules, but kind of still leaves it open to the, to the, to the firms to design something that works best for their, for their business. Yeah. So um, we're going to move on a little bit from 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 the the actual proxy um, rules. Uh, the same day uh, that the SEC adopted the proxy rules, they also issued su issued supplemental guidance to um, investment advisors who are uh, responsible for voting proxies on behalf of their clients. Um, and this guidance supplemented um, guidance that was originally issued to investment advisors back in uh, August of 2019. Um, and this supplemental guidance deals with um, or addresses how investment advisors need to consider 
these this additional information that they're receiving from issuers um, uh, relating to the advice that the proxy advisory firm is giving them on on voting shares, uh, voting uh, shares that they own. Um, you know how it's considered, uh, when they should consider it, um, and, and how it'll affect their vote and, and documentation of uh, steps they've taken to uh, review that review that material. Also, it addresses uh, what are called pre-populated proxy voting forms. And some um, uh, investment advisors that uh, use a proxy voting um, service will receive back from the proxy voting service prior to the date that the proxy needs to be cast, um, a ballot that's, that's pre-populated with the, the, the re voting recommendations of the um, proxy advisory service. Um, the guidance um, makes clear that investment advisors uh, cannot just rely on on um, those pre-populated proxies and just uh, allow them to be submitted, uh, but need to um, review those and ascertain whether or not any additional solicitation materials have been filed by an issuer that may disagree with the with the um, advice given by the proxy advisory service and consider that before submitting the form. So. Some additional guidance has been given to investment advisors um, as a result of these uh, proposed amendments. Nathan, I'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to say about the, the rule and the effect it has on uh, issuers? Sure, Mike. A, a couple of things to say here. One, about the effective date of these SEC rules. Um, the rules that state that a proxy advisory firm's business constitutes solicitation of a proxy. That rule is effective uh, 60 days after publication of these rules in the Federal Register. So that's going to become effective this year, as is uh, the rule that indicates that uh, failing to disclose information uh, in a proxy advisory firm's advice about the methodology, sources of information, or conflict of interest might be a materially misleading statement. Um, so those rules are, are kind of effective very shortly here, and that's important for issuers. Uh, those pieces of the of the rulemaking really mean that proxy advisory firms are now subject to uh, the anti-fraud rules uh, contained in the proxy rules. And, you know, in extreme cases, that could mean that an issuer might have a private right of action if they feel they've been harmed by uh, a uh, advice from a proxy advisory firm that is materially misleading. Um, with respect to the other changes that we talked about, where we spent most of our time, however, today, uh, there's a delayed effective date. So uh, the SEC is not going to require a proxy voting advice business uh, to set up those policies uh, to ensure that uh, their clients are made aware of issuer responses to um, to their voting advice or uh, or even to um, uh, include the, the conflict of interest disclosure in uh, in its proxy voting advice or in electronic materials um, until effectively the 2022 proxy season. So December December 1, 2021, the proxy advisory, advisory firms need to have those policies in place. As I mentioned, some some of the players in the space are starting to move there already, but there's kind of going to be potentially a delayed effective date and continued lawsuits. So it's just going to be really interesting to watch what happens, you know, in, in the uh, upcoming 2021 proxy season. Uh, the rules are not yet fully effective, but uh, will be interesting to see how, how issuers start responding um, to 
um, um, uh, you know, to the extent there are negative recommendations from ISS or Glass-Lewis, how what how responses develop, and and to see sort of how the the proxy advisory firms over the somewhat longer term, uh, what kind of policies they develop to comply with the SEC's rules, assuming they become effective, and ISS doesn't succeed in <laughs> in uh, uh, in in their lawsuit against the SEC, and, and how that plays out, you know, uh, you could have, you know, the potential for you know, shifts in the relative power of those uh, of those proxy advisory firms, and uh, certainly something that we will all be watching uh, with great interest in the executive compensation area. Yeah, and I think it's also pretty interesting, Nathan, that um, you know, with the rise of uh, ESG funds and other, um, um, you know, an ESG as a and an ESG as environmental, social, and governance uh, uh, factors. Um, you know, consideration of those in investment decision-making processes and how it's become it's moving more into the uh, mainstream of financial analysis and, and looking at a, a companies as a, a company as a viable investment um, and the impact side of ESG, which uh, focuses a lot on uh, shareholder proposals and, and proxy voting, um, many of which um, are uh, the not consistent with ESG with I'm sorry not consistent with Class Lewis and ISS and other um, proxy advisory services um, recommendations to begin with. So um, you know, as you said, we'll see what, how if the power shifts. Uh, does it shift to the issuer? Does it shift to the to mm -hmm. the proxy advisory service, or does it shift to shareholders? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so there's really three players in this game, even though uh, we. Mm -hmm. Primarily been focusing on on uh, on just two of them. Um, one last fast recap, Nathan. Um, the ISS uh, litigation. What where is that? What's the, what's its posture right now? Um, and do we do you anticipate anything happening before December first, twenty twenty one? I doubt there will be. You know, there may not be decisions uh, from from the court that are that are uh, meaningful yet. But ISS is scheduled to. Uh, file an amended complaint by September 18th. Uh, so it is going to pick up again. It had been put on hold while we were waiting for the final rules, but it definitely looks prepared to to heat up. Uh, and uh, we'll see what what happens. But I would expect to see more developments there uh, coming soon. Something we'll be watching through the end of this year and into the uh, the 2021 proxy season. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Nathan. It's always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, very informative discussion. So thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and thank you for listening to Market Matters. I hope you found the information shared during today's program valuable. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic or Thompson Hines Investment Management Practice Group or the employee benefits and executive compensation practices, please visit ThompsonHine.com. With approximately 400 lawyers in eight offices, Thompson Hine is a full-service business law firm recognized for innovation and client service. Our smart path approach provides clients with service that is predictable, efficient, and aligned with their goals.